Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of CEO Sitdowns. In today's conversation, I have the great privilege of talking to the CEO of CHI Health, EJ Kuiper. In his role, EJ oversees 28 hospitals, two behavioral health facilities, 13,000 plus employees, and 4,000 physicians across four different states. In today's conversation, we really talk about everything under the sun. We explore EJ's beginnings and why he originally got into healthcare, how he balances the managerial and the medical aspects of his role, his favorite leadership books, Clifton's strengths, all that and more in today's conversation. And a special thanks to EJ for coming on the show, as I know he's a very busy guy and it was very kind of him to give me some of his time. But I'd also like to thank my great friend, Dr. Dan DeFries in Nebraska City for making this interview happen. Dan, you're the man. And without further ado, I invite you to pull up a chair and listen into my conversation with EJ Kuiper. Good afternoon, EJ. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty okay. Thank God it's Friday. That's all I've got to say on the week. Um, so before we get into the thick of it here, tell me your story. I've done some researching about you online, kind of your background, but I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth, as they say. So take us kind of back to your beginnings where you kind of first discovered your career journey, if you will. Okay. So how far do you want me to go back? Because I, I, I did grow up in, um, in uh, the Netherlands, uh, near Amsterdam and uh, like a lot of little kids um, loved in in Europe loved playing soccer and uh, did that for a lot of my childhood um, um, was very passionate about it until it kind of came to a screeching halt with a knee injury and uh, or several knee injuries and some surgeries and a lot of um, physical therapy and um, um, I really discovered that I admired healthcare workers in general, the surgeons, the nurses in the hospital, but in particular, the athletic trainers and the, and the physical therapists. So that was kind of a formative moment for me where I decided um, that I wanted to go into healthcare and decided to become a physical therapist. So um, did that and in my last year of training, there were some recruiters that came to the university uh, from the United States. Um, actually, they worked for HCA, which is, uh, you might know, uh, the largest for-profit healthcare organization in the United States, actually in the world. And uh, they were just offering uh, one or two year contracts for uh, new grads. And um, I thought, you know, that was, uh, that sounded pretty adventurous. and. Uh, uh, decided to go ahead and, and, and sign a deal. It was actually interesting. They, they came in with a big map of the United States with some with a lot of dots on it, which was like the 200 some hospitals that HEA owned at the time. And they said, you know, you can go anywhere you want to, just, uh, just point on the map. And uh, so I pointed to uh, what looked like a, a beachy place to me, Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, <laughs> signed a deal and, and, and uh, they, um, they flew me out there, started working for um, um, the hospitals down there. There were two hospitals at the time in Fort Myers that were owned by Columbia HCA. And, you know, I really loved working as a clinician. And um, 
um, rotated, you know, from uh, acute care to post-acute, inpatient, outpatient, home health, really, really enjoyed that interaction with, uh, with the patients and, and make a meaningful difference. Just like those therapists made uh, a great impact on me as a young kid with, uh, with a knee injury, I really wanted to help people, you know, after surgery, uh, relieve back pain, uh, etc. So loved it. But then, you know, a few years in, started uh, growing a little bit frustrated with, um, I used to call them suits, you know, still call them suits, actually, uh, administrators, you know. And, uh, you know, every once in a while they would come through the gym and they would, what we call in healthcare, rounds. They would just kind of come in and ask how things are going. And it was always a frustrating experience for me because, I didn't get the sense that they really cared what the answer was. They just were told by somebody that you have to round on your employees. And so it just frustrated me and, and I would complain about whatever was on my mind, you know, a piece of equipment that we needed or more staff or, um, and then nothing ever happened with that. So, and then the CEO of the, the hospital would have employee forums from time to time. And uh, I always liked listening to where the hospital was going strategically and what was going well and things that needed to improve. And at the end, there was always a Q&A session. So I always, uh, at those forums, always would, uh, you know, let's say, give my opinion as well. So <laughs> after, after a few of those forums, the CEO, God bless him, um, he became my mentor, Steve Royal, took me aside and, and said, hey, I, I appreciate you. You seem to be a smart guy. You certainly care about the PT department, the rehab department. Um, but, you know, you might want to think about instead of always bringing me complaints, you might want to consider becoming, you know, part of the solution. You know, we have great uh, uh, tuition reimbursement programs here. I'd love to help you along. You need to get a, a, an MHA. And uh, I gave that some thought and talked to my wife about it and uh, decided to do that. So I, I did go back to school um, and got my master's and doctorate degrees and then... Uh, entered the uh, HCA Executive Development uh, Program, uh, which was a great program where they uh, give you a position in the hospital, in, in my case, Vice President of Operations, and then would fly you to Nashville where HCA was headquartered, is headquartered still, um, just to introduce you to uh, senior leaders in the organization and teach you uh, kind of post postgraduate stuff. And uh, that really... Uh, was a wonderful program and shaped me um, into the leader that I am today. So uh, very, very thankful for HCA and all the time and resources that they have invested in me. So, you know, and progressed from being a VP of operation to chief operating officer to CEO to division president over a few hospitals to now 30 hospitals and 200 plus clinics. So. Um, but at the end, at the end of the day, whether you're leading a group of five or ten or fifteen therapists, or you're leading a division with, you know, fifteen thousand people, uh, the leadership principles stay the same. Sure. So tell me, how many does CHI currently employ? Well, we have Common Spirit. We're part of a, a large organization called Common Spirit, which. Uh, it was two companies put together, CHI and then Dignity, 
Um, we have 150,000 uh, people that are employed by that company, but there's 15,000 in my uh, division in the Midwest. So we're part of that bigger company and we brand uh, the lower part of the Midwest, um, CHI Health. Um, now we also have hospitals in uh, North Dakota and Minnesota as well. So, um, and we brand that a little bit differently. Sure. So I'm curious. How many hospitals have you been the CEO of? Well, uh, let's see. Or companies, rather, however you want to. Well, I've been, I've been part of three, uh, three organizations, so HCA, and I was a chief operating officer there. Uh, so the, the, the way hospital structures typically work is you have a chief executive officer, a COO, a chief financial officer, and then often a chief nurse and chief medical officer. So that's kind of the, the senior team of most hospitals. So in Fort Myers, I was the chief operating officer uh, for HCA in that, in that market. And then um, took a CEO position uh, on the Catholic not-for-profit side. And uh, after a few years was recruited to become what's called a division president. And that's when the CEOs of the hospitals report to you and you run a region. So okay. did that in Illinois for um, eight years, um, nine hospitals, and then was recruited here to Omaha to run uh, the Midwest division. So when it comes to, you know, being in charge of all those hospitals, the division, as you say, how much of your role is, you know, very, very detailed when it comes to the medical side, understanding all those things versus the managerial, the financial, the operational, dealing with people. What's the balance between those those different facets? Well, it's interesting that you that you use the term balance because we have what's called a balanced scorecard that um, uh, looks at financials. But of course, since we're in healthcare, is very much focused on quality and patient experience as well. And, and as, as leaders in, in healthcare, we understand that we have to do all of it well. If you're too focused on the financials, you know, your, your quality and patient experience indicators might suffer. If you're overly focused on quality, then your financials might start uh, to take a downturn. So you really have to take a balanced uh, approach. You know, in my, in my position as a division president, I'm part of the national team as well. So. Uh, Common Spirit has 144 hospitals, so we often meet um, uh, centrally, whether it's in Chicago or LA or Phoenix or Denver, where we talk about the, the, the larger strategic themes that are impacting healthcare in general. Uh, and then when I get back home here in Omaha, um, we use a lot of Zoom, as you can imagine, and we're on the phone with the local teams, the local hospitals in those 30 uh, markets. And we talk about how they're performing uh, around quality, patient experience, financials, strategically, do we need to invest in technology? Do we need to replace a facility? So it's really a, um, an interesting job because um, there, are, there are very few boring days, I can tell you, because there's always a challenge in front of us. There are always strategic initiatives that we're working on, partnerships with physicians. Um, it's exciting stuff. So when you guys, uh, your, your division heads, get together um, and talk about all those strategic themes, what exactly are you seeing going across the country uh, right now in way of 
movement pattern paradigm in healthcare? Yeah. Well, the pandemic, as you can imagine, had a uh, significant impact on healthcare in general. And I um, can't tell you how proud I am of our clinicians, um, of our employees, uh, whether it's directly at the bedside or two, three, four steps away from the bedside supporting our clinicians and how they responded to this uh, unique um, challenge during the pandemic. You might remember very early on, uh, we really didn't know what we didn't know, right? How infectious the disease was. There were a lot of caregivers at the time that, that just jumped into the breach, helped out very, very sick patients. And they were not quite sure if the PPE, as we call it, what we use, the masks and the gowns, were actually sufficient to stop the disease from spreading at home, right? So you had nurses and doctors who literally took their own lives in their hands just to help out those very, very sick patients. And you might also recall that early on, um, lots of patients went on ventilators and we lost a lot of patients as well. The mortality rate early on uh, during the pandemic was, was really high. So figuring out during those two years how to take care of the community, how to make sure that our clinicians, our employees were protected uh, was a significant challenge. Some would call it the most significant challenge in, in our collective careers. Now in this quote unquote post pandemic environment, um, there are new challenges because what happened during the pandemic is the labor cost uh, went up significantly, double digits. Um, supply cost, you know, you've all heard of the uh, supply chain crisis that we've gone through. The supplies have gone up substantially and then also the drug costs. So when you have all those big uh, cost centers go up substantially, the financials are gonna turn uh, upside down. And that's really what's happened to lots and lots of health systems and hospitals across the country. And so that's the new challenge that we're trying to meet. How do we figure out a way, a path forward where we can continue to take care of our patients in, in the communities that we serve uh, but do it in a fiscally uh, responsible manner. So, you know, of course, people are always bellyaching the, about the cost of health care. Do you see any hope, any promise of driving down those costs with the innovation, new medical technologies, things of that nature? Yeah. Well, Common Spirit and CHL, uh, CHI Health actually are really focused on, on, on health care delivery at, a, um, at the lowest uh, cost point possible. Um, again, it's a balance, right? You have to make sure that you deliver high quality care and you have to do it at an affordable price. In healthcare, as you probably know, um, the reimbursement system is incredibly uh, complex. If you're running a restaurant, for example, um, and your supply costs go up, you know, you may have charged for a hamburger, maybe seven, eight bucks or something like that. And if your costs go up, you might make the decision that you have to raise the price to $10 a, a hamburger. Um, in healthcare, you cannot do that. You know, your reimbursement is set at the state level, Medicaid, at the federal level, Medicare, and then in negotiations with the commercial payers, the United, the Aetna's, the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world. And uh, those usually happen in three-year cycles. So. You, you, you cannot 
um, elevate the prices because it doesn't have any impact because it's locked in. And, and that's what makes it so difficult when your cost goes up, uh, yet your reimbursement is not tracking along with those uh, increased expenditures. Uh, that's when your financials uh, get in trouble. So what we really are trying to do in CHI Health is we have a clinically integrated network of physicians and hospitals and clinics where we really are working on preventing patients to having to go to a hospital or preventing having to, uh, um, you know, need an MRI or a CT scan. So we really believe that if we invest in the front end and get people to their primary care doctors and do preventive procedures, um, uh, that it avoids a lot of that high cost uh, stuff that you were just referencing. And I think at a fundamental level, everybody in the United States is trying to figure out how we can get ahead of that high cost stuff that happens um, in the hospitals. So if I'm understanding that correctly, you as the, the, the hospital, the healthcare provider, do you just absorb those rising costs until those contracts, those negotiations resume in three years? No, that's exactly uh, that's exactly uh, right, John. Because what happens is uh, you still have to take care of the patients, right? That's yeah. that's why we joined healthcare. That's part of our mission. We feel strongly about that. So, and that's why you see so many health systems posting significant losses right now because we still are there for the community, regardless of the reimbursement environment. So that leads me to wonder. What exactly are your relationships with those big insurance providers, United, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna? How, how is that dynamic? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, they're good people, right, um, that also uh, joined um, their industry for all the right reasons. Um, but we do um, butt heads from time to time, right? We, we obviously are pointing out that here is our cost structure. Here's what we're doing to lower the overall cost of healthcare. Uh, but we also point out that uh, labor costs, supply costs and drug costs are largely out of our control and that we need to make sure that we get appropriately reimbursed for it. On the flip side, the insurance companies also obviously are pointing out that uh, uh, they need to be able to stay in business. And, and so we have to meet somewhere in the, in, in, in the middle and, and, and strike a deal that ensures that we can still care, take care of our patients in our communities. And that's all, that's usually what happens. Every once in a while you hear about ugly stories about um, hospitals and physicians forced to be out of network. Uh, that's really something that we try to avoid. Uh, but when it does happen, it happens for what we believe all the right reasons. That's to make sure that we um, get appropriately reimbursed so we can continue uh, to deliver high quality uh, care. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a quick minute here to remind you that if you know any CEOs who would make great guests on my show, send me an email at john at ceositdowns.com. I am always on the hunt for great guests, so if you know anyone, please send them my way. I'd love to have them on. Again, you can reach me at john at ceositdowns.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. So... And I promise I won't stay on the financial side forever. That's just where my interests lie, just by virtue of my major and my experience. If you had to give um, CHI's hospitals, their system, a grade, you know, a grade of their financial wellness, if you will, how would you mm -hmm. grade it right now? 
we're, we're, we're very viable. I don't know what kind of grade I would give. It's not an A because we're very concerned about this post-pandemic environment. But having said that, um, our company has been around for a long time and the sisters uh, started this ministry many, many, many years ago, over a hundred years ago, and really did a very good job building a very decent balance sheet. So we have the luxury of during hard times, um, uh, being able to work obviously on turning things around financially, but it doesn't become an existential exercise, right? But obviously when you have, when you sustain significant losses, that's not something that can go on forever. Uh, but you do have the luxury of making sure that whatever you put in place to right size things, that you take your time, that you deliberate, and that you make sure that you're making the right decisions. So, you know, I feel fortunate to be part of Common Spirit. I feel uh, fortunate to be part of CHI Health. Uh, we have enough scale um, that we can weather a storm uh, uh, like this. Gotcha. So shifting from the financial now, I kind of want to dig more into your your psyche, if you will, here, EJ. Um, when it comes to you know, managing an organization as large as CHI, where do you find your weaknesses are most evident? What areas, what facets, where do you, where do you see that? Are you saying weaknesses? Yeah. Like your, your weakness as a CEO and don't worry, okay. I'll ask about strengths next, but I just want to make sure I heard you right. No, no. Sure. Hey, God knows I have a lot of flaws. So, you know, I, I always have been blessed in that I've been able to surround myself with people um, who can make up for some of my flaws, right? Um, I've always loved the Gallup leadership philosophy. And of course, Gallup is headquartered here in, in Omaha. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about it um, uh, later this hour. But, but Gallup really is all about um, getting familiar with your strengths, your innate talents, the things that come natural to you. But also on the flip side, understanding that you can't be strong in everything. And so by knowing the people around me and knowing what their talents are, where their passions lie, I can build a team that collectively is stronger um, because we help each other out, we compensate for certain flaws. You know, you, you don't wanna have a team with people that are all made up the same way. They're all raging extroverts or introverts that have uh, type A or type B or whatever generalization you wanna use. You wanna make sure that you have a team um, that's made up of uh, diverse talent, right? And uh, so I always, when I join a new organization, uh, make sure that I have those people around me that can point out my flaws, that are not afraid to say, you need to watch for this or that. Uh, but also people that just have the strengths to make up for what my fl flaws might be. I'm not the most detail-oriented person. I, I, I like to think more strategically, big picture. But if I don't have somebody that I can hand projects off to who actually is really good at executing to the detail those projects, I'm not going to be successful, right? You can have great ideas, but if somebody doesn't catch them, they're not going anywhere. So that said... Um that that of course is yeah i see where you're coming from a weakness of of a very minute nature you know 
um, where would you say your strengths are? Like, will, where will people come up to you and say, man, EJ, without your insight input here, this probably wouldn't have occurred? Uh, I, I, I think I'm good with people. Um, sure. And I love being around people. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those that, that draws energy from being around people. And I know there's also people that, that are the opposite, right? Um, but I love working with physicians. I love working with housekeepers. I love working with nurses. Um, uh, one of the, the great blessings of this job is that we get to travel around and, and visit these communities and meet new people all the time. I was in North Dakota with a, a number of my team members last week. Um, Earlier this week, we were in Western Nebraska in Kearney and Grand Island, dinners with physicians, meetings with the management teams. I absolutely love interacting with them. Uh, I usually do a PowerPoint presentation about where I believe the organization needs to go. We do a Q&A session. I get all sorts of great feedback. Um, that's probably my favorite part of the job, just interacting with people, people that have joined healthcare uh, for all the right reasons. And another thing that I really like to do when we do dinners, if you have groups that are not too large, just to go around the room and ask people about their journey. How did you get to this room tonight? You know, what kind of weird twists and turns brought you right here as a leader in this organization? And I often think about that, right? And I thought I was going to be a decent soccer player. Then I injured my knee I thought the world ended right there, but I wouldn't be here talking to you, John, today if it wasn't for that injury, right? And, and, and so I'm always fascinating with people's stories and how they got there. And I also do that because I wanna make sure people are reminded of their why. What is your why? What are you working so hard? Um, what are you trying to accomplish? And if we every once in a while take a couple of steps back and remind ourselves of our why, I think we're gonna be more effective actually doing our jobs going forward. I have to ask EJ, did any of your kids take to soccer? No, not at all. Um, I have a son and two daughters, um, and um, I can't say that, uh, that any of them were any good or even enjoyed it. I, I tried it really hard with my youngest and I, I'll never forget, you know, she was probably six or seven or something like that. And I had all sorts of plans and strategies and told her what to do and not to do. But she was just one of those that would just kind of look up the sky and saw a butterfly and chase that uh, out of the field, you know. So, it, you know, it is what it is. It's, uh, everybody has their own passions. They, they each have incredible talent. But, you know, soccer is not, is not part of that. Gotcha. I had to ask. I was just curious. <laughs> um but, but back to your role, I'm curious, I'm always curious how people who lead organizations receive information, um, not so much in you know, the technical sense, but what books are you reading? What podcasts do you listen to? How do you stay informed about what's going on in your field, but the broader world? Where do you, where do you mix, mix into all that? Yeah, from, from, from uh, uh, the years of um, being a rehab manager, I've always loved picking up leadership books. It doesn't matter. Usually they're quick reads. You can do it on a, a read it on a one hour, uh, one hour flight somewhere. And I still do that to this day. I, I, I still pass, uh, I cannot pass a, a bookstore at the airport without uh, picking up the latest book. You can always pick, you know, one little nugget out of it. Um, 
and, and I love to apply it. So, so certainly uh, like reading. Um, I, I, you know, I told you, I love interacting with people. So one of my main mechanisms is just asking people, you know, whether I'm in front of 500 people or 50 people or have dinner with five people, I always ask for their perspective. And uh, um, every time I travel to, it doesn't matter where I go to, uh, I always learn something new. I'm not a, I'm not big on ivory tower leadership, right? Where you're uh, sitting in your office behind your desk and you're looking at spreadsheets or you're looking at a big map with dots on there. Um, it's not until you drive to the communities that you find out that Grand Island is not at all like Kearney. They're both great, but if you just look at a map, you might say, well, how dissimilar could they be? Well, just ask the people of Grand Island and Kearney, right? Same thing with Lincoln and Omaha. Um, there are distinct differences. So if I don't ask people for their perspective, I'm going to make some mistakes, going to make um, decisions based on generalizations that are simply not true. So interaction with people is probably my number one information gathering technique. Um, so that, you know, I think those two are the most important for me. I love podcasts as well, but oftentimes um, those are not business or leadership podcasts. It's like Star Wars or something like that, you know, <laughs> something to... Uh, relax on. So have you been to all the communities where CHI has a presence, whether it be a hospital or a clinic? Yeah, within the first, um, within the first three months of when I started, um, I visited all 30 markets within my division. So I met with all the leadership teams and the medical staff and uh, have been back to a variety of those communities. And now this quarter, I'm again making the rounds. I'm going to visit all those communities again. Because have you officially been in your, your role as CEO for a year yet? Or is it yeah, close to that? Yeah, just a little bit over a year. Okay, gotcha. I, I wondered, but that, that's admirable, and I'm sure those communities appreciated that as well. Um, that said, I want to rewind just a bit. Leadership books, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I go back to um, Gallup. There's a number, um, but there's two from Gallup that I really enjoy and actually still speak to when I uh, go around and do my uh, presentations. Um, one came out in 1999 and the other one in 2001. The uh, first one is called First Break All the Rules. And the second one is Now Discover Your Strengths. And I remember as a rehab manager at the time, I was young, I was invited to go to Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places where Gallup was headquartered at the time. As you know, it's now moved to downtown uh, Omaha here. Um, but I was uh, very young and um, uh, the CEO was kind enough to send me and a few of my colleagues to Lincoln, Nebraska for a week where we really uh, learned about the Gallup leadership philosophy and first break all the rules. Um, uh, first of all, I really liked the title of that because I was a bit of a rebel back then. I'm still a rebel, but you know, I just like that title, break the rules. Um, you know, there was this notion back then, and still you hear it, that you have to treat all your employees equally. And what Gallup is saying, and what First Break All the Rules really is talking about is, that's wrong. What you have to do is, is really figure out who are your superstars. I think everybody uh, that has employees, if I would call them at 2 o'clock in the morning and would ask them, who's your number one employee? I think they could answer it immediately. 
if you rank all your employees, whether you have 15,000 or you have um, 10, what you have to remember, and Gallup reinforces this, is that the, the number one and number two superstars are watching how much spend, how much time you're spending with whom. And Gallup says, do not treat everybody equally. Spend more time with your superstars than you do with the people that are falling short of expectations. Now, the trap that we tend to fall into, and I certainly have, is that you spend more time with your people that need to be coached. Maybe they need to go on a performance improvement plan, and you, you spend a lot of time on that. But superstars watch that and are thinking, do I want to be part of an organization where I'm not being recognized, where the boss is not sitting down with me and asking me about my aspirations? Maybe I want to advance in the organization. Maybe I want to go back to school. Maybe I want to have a supervisor position. If we don't ask those superstars, they may just think about leave the organization. So it made a big impression on me when Gallup told me to not treat everybody equally. Now, of course, Gallup wasn't talking about health benefits and PTO plans and all that. Of course, that has to be equal. But the time you spend with your employees, you have to be very, very deliberate about. Um, so that was a lesson I took away uh, from that first book. And there, there are many more. Uh, I could certainly recommend people picking up that book. The second book, first, uh, uh, after First Break All the Rules, is called Now Discover Your Strengths. And that's really about innate talent, things that come natural to you. And Don Clifton, who was kind of the, the godfather of, of, of the Gallup philosophy, developed 34 strength themes. And you can take, uh, when you buy this book, there's like a little link in there. You can take a survey. Uh, it takes about 20 minutes or so to fill out. And then it will rank order from number one to number 34, your strengths. Now, what Gallup is saying is there's, there's not a good list. There's not a good top five. If you, if you have this top five, oh, you're going to be a a doctor or, uh, or a lawyer or a CEO. It's just that you have to be aware of the fact that where, you know, where lie your strengths, but also at the bottom five, number 29 through 34, you might want to be aware of the fact that that doesn't come natural to you. And so um, we spend a week in, Le in Lincoln talking about our strengths, learning about each other and seeing the value of creating better teams by just knowing each other better and putting people in a position where they can excel. A great example, John, in, in, in that book is about Michael Jordan. And you probably remember, well, first of all, Michael Jordan, I don't think many people would argue this, best basketball player that ever walked the planet. I know some people are arguing for LeBron right now, but I think, I think Michael is still it. Well, Michael, mid-career, as you might recall, um, stopped playing basketball. Um, you know, there's some, there's two theories out there. One is the commissioner forced him out of the league because he was gambling and he needed a couple, take a couple of years off. Um, others just said, listen, he had already a couple of MVP awards. He won a couple of um, world titles. He just got bored and he wanted to see if he could be a baseball player. So he stopped playing basketball, went to the owner of the Chicago Bulls, who also happened to own the Chicago White Sox, and said, I'd like to uh, try to become a professional baseball player. So they send him to Birmingham, Alabama. The, 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 the Birmingham Barons, I think, was the name of the team. So here's this guy, Michael Jordan, 
could jump higher than anybody else, smarter than anybody else on the court, faster than anybody else on the court, a great team player, a great team leader, incredible eye-hand coordination, walked off the, ba the basketball court, walked on a baseball diamond, and it was embarrassing. All those talents were still there. What Gallup is saying is there's a lesson there. Yes, you want to recruit superstars on your team. Of course, you want to have the Michael Jordans of the world on your team. But the second step, equally important, put them in the right position. Do not have Michael Jordan on a baseball diamond. You know, the guy couldn't even make it out of single A. I think he hit 112. It was, it was incredible. It was embarrassing. There was a Sports Illustrated cover where, where I think it said, bag it, Michael. You know, just move on. Don't embarrass yourself. So... Recruit Michael Jordan on your team, but make sure you put him on a basketball court. And that lesson stayed with me. I still talk about it all the time because that's the same for us, right? Our team members, no matter how small or how tall or how big your team is, you want to make sure that you put people in a position where they can excel. Um, an example I use sometimes is some of us are extroverted. Some of us are introverted. That doesn't make one a good person or a bad person. It's just the way we're wired. Um, I often see as I round in our hospitals and our clinics, I see people in, let's say, unit clerk positions or receptionist positions that clearly are introverts. And I th always think, why do we put people like that in that position? Because this is a job, a position where you really have to interact with people, right? Whether it's physicians rounding on the floors or patients coming to uh, the reception area. And you need to put people in those positions that just love being around people, that draw energy from interacting with people. The best receptionist that I've ever encountered um, was in an outpatient uh, healthcare facility uh, behind the desk. And she just absolutely had a passion for interacting with people, helping people, talking to people, getting to know them. And I remember being with her once, observing her, and we had these sliding doors where the, uh, you know, the patients came in or family members came in. It's about a 20, 30-yard walk to the reception area. And I could just tell that she was getting excited. The doors opened up, a few people came in, and you know they were like 10 yards out and she started leaning in and, and you could tell that she was like, when can I finally say hi? Because she couldn't wait for that interaction to start, right? And I was thinking, oh my gosh, that is world-class performance and good job, manager, whomever you are, picking her for this job. Now, the other person that may be an introvert you know, was placed in that position and may not be nearly as successful and perhaps even miserable. Well, whose fault is that? I don't think it's that employee's fault. It is us, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure we put them in the right position. Let's, let's, put a, let's put somebody in that position who's great at communicating, has a great smile and loves being around people. So, you know, those are just some lessons that I got out of those two books, love those two. There's, of course, many, many more leadership books, but I've always been a, um, a big Gallup fan. Yeah, I, I will say I have asked their CEO um, to come on this show, and I have not got him yet, but I'm going to keep trying. Um, but I'll definitely right. put the, the link to those uh, books in the show notes. The one, yeah. thing, the one thing, though, EJ, 
do you, when you come into a new organization like you did almost a year ago with CHI, do you ask your direct reports, if you will, the people who are directly underneath you on your team, whatever, to take that Clifton Strengths test? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we've done that with um, all our CEOs, CNOs, and CMOs in the organization. So a group of about a hundred, and. Um, with my direct report team, I'm going to have a mini retreat in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to look at that again. And we're going to take it to the next level where we're not just focusing on us individually, but how do we interact with one another knowing each other's strengths? And how can we, when we have certain projects that we have to execute, how can we group three or four of us together that really complement one another and can become an effective team so yes i i, I use it uh, all the time and certainly have introduced it here um at chi health as well because is that um now discover your strengths book is that the one that's white and has like red red lettering red um art, uh, graph design is that it there, no i don't think so there are, i think it's uh, red um it's, it has gone through multiple versions, so sure. it could be that, that you've seen a, a different one than I'm used to, but uh, the original one from 2001 um, is, not, is not white. Okay. Uh, it's a quick read. I can really recommend it to you. It's so much fun. And then actually taking that survey, um, if you show it to your spouse or your loved one, they will immediately say, oh, my gosh, they, they nailed you. That, that is absolutely you. So it's, it's, it's kind of a fun thing to go through. I'm curious, EJ, what are your top five? Well, I, I have strategic, um, which helps, right? Um, achiever, <laughs> um, belief, um, and then a ranger. Um, so all of those um, are, are decent strengths. Like I said, there's, there, there are no bad strengths, but all of those combined help me um, kind of coordinate teams, um, keep the big strategic view but also make sure with a ranger uh, that you make sure that projects are getting executed. Because like I said, if you're, if you're constantly at 30,000 feet, nothing gets done, right? And in healthcare in particular, the real heroes in healthcare are the people in the, in the trenches, right? At or near the bedside. So we can never forget why we're here as leaders and that's to enable those great people. One thing, I'm curious, within healthcare broadly, and then within CHI, do you find that there's, a, that there's a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucracy? Well, there's a lot of red tape around uh, billing and coding, um, those kind of things, right? And, and CMS has all sorts of requirements for healthcare entities. Um, and, and for all the right reasons, this, the, the, these rules were not introduced um, by bad people doing bad things. Uh, but it certainly has uh, added a layer of bureaucracy that is costly. And every dollar that you spend away from the bedside, right, is not spent at the bedside. So um, there are a lot of quality indicators that we have to um, submit to CMS or to the payers. Uh, and again, that's good because you want to be able to track how we're doing from a quality and patient experience perspective. But sometimes it does get to the point where um, bureaucracy gets in the way of why we're here, which is to take care of patients. Um, so it's just it's just part of of um, leading hospitals. You have a, a very talented team of non-clinicians who help 
with all of that, whether they're billers or coders or quality um, experts. Um, you need to have that nowadays to run a successful healthcare organization. And it's, like I said, not a bad thing. It's good to look at quality indicators. I love transparency. If you uh, uh, go on the CMS website, you can find out everything you want from your local hospital. And I think ultimately that's a very good thing. It's just that in order to get all that data out there and validate it, it takes a lot of resources, right? Sure. So taking a slight pivot here, we've talked about the pandemic, of course. One thing I want to know personally, COVID brought on all these different rules and regs that people had to adhere to and oftentimes are viewed in a negative light. But was there any positive improvements made within your hospital system that was brought on by COVID, whether it be practices, procedures? What was what was a net gain? Well, one, one gain, net gain, was telehealth. Um, we were really forced to... Um, find other ways to interact with our patients. You know, if patients couldn't make it out of their homes um, because of uh, lockdowns or because of uh, the fear of uh, getting infected, uh, telehealth has really proven to be a very effective way to interact with a clinician. And we've grown that platform substantially, and I think much faster than we would have if it weren't uh, for that pandemic. So that's a big advantage. The other thing that we found on the business side is that Zoom is actually a very effective way of communicating with one another. You don't always have to be physically in a room to run an effective meeting. And in particular for you know a, a region like mine, when you have hospitals up against the Canadian border or all the way up against the, uh, the Colorado uh, border, obviously Zoom uh, is something that you need, but I really think that has advanced substantially. We do a lot more virtual meeting uh, meetings than we did prior to the pandemic. So both fall in the same category. One is clinical, one is business, but um, I, I think we're in a much better place uh, because we're forced to innovate during that pandemic. Was the telehealth uh, project, that initiative, was that something you were working on beforehand or this is kind of just a we've got to make it work. There's no alternative. Yeah, we were working on it just like uh, most healthcare organizations, but it really uh, accelerated during the pandemic. We were forced to, like I said, it was the only way for us uh, in many instances to communicate with our patient base. And so um, the advancement uh, was accelerated. And you often see that, right? When, when circumstances hit, you have to innovate. Uh, surgical advancements, in the United States skyrocketed during the Vietnam War. And it was just because in the field they were doing surgeries to try to save those soldiers' lives because they had to. And they had to innovate because they had to, you know, do things with the tools and the resources they had in those mass tents, right? And, um, and surgical advancements just accelerated tremendously. This is another one of those examples. Um, it's certainly not a good thing that we went through COVID-19, but it also forced us to innovate, adapt, and advance technology. So 
CHI as a whole, are you guys still dealing with any staffing issues, whether it be surgeons, nurses, whatever? Are you guys having any any, any labor issues of that sort currently? Absolutely. Uh, all of healthcare does. Um, okay. We're always looking for more nurses, for more surgeons and doctors, housekeepers. Um, the labor market also fundamentally changed, I believe, um, during the pandemic. We, we've had uh, a, a good portion uh, of the nursing labor force in the United States decided to leave because they were completely burned out during the pandemic. And maybe they were planning on retiring when they were 65 and they hit 62 and said, I can't do this anymore. And so, you know, when you shrink that pool of nurses um, and, and when you have a growing organization like, like Common Spirit and CHI Health, you need every nurse you can get a hold of. So, yes, we definitely have uh, still a staffing crunch, uh, which we work on every single day on both sides of the equation, by the way. Of course, you need to uh, have a good recruitment uh, uh, organization, but retaining your people is equally important, right? You don't have to recruit people if you can hold on to your talent. So creating a, a, a great environment for our staff to work in is a, is a significant focus for us. And in what ways are you doing that? I mean, you, you mentioned how you got to do that program through tuition reimbursement and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Are you guys implementing similar things in way of benefits and way of perks, for lack of a better word? We do, yeah. We have um, uh, tuition reimbursement programs. We have um, uh, the formal education programs and also people that would like to do certificate programs. We do... Um, leadership retreats for our leaders, obviously, for employees that would like to advance from, let's say, being a, a nurse assistant to becoming an LPN or an RN, we have programs for that. Um, whether you're on the clinical side or non-clinical side, we really try to find out um, where people's aspirations lie. You know, where do you wanna be five or 10 years from now? And how can we as your employer get you there? And I think, at a fundamental level, that's the best way to retain your talent. I guess kind of as a catch-all question here, I know we're kind of coming close to time. How is CHI different from other hospitals, from other networks, from other healthcare providers? We are a mission-centric organization, and our mission, vision, and values um, are a differentiator, in my opinion. Our ministries... Um, started, we call most of our hospitals ministries, um, started in some instances 135 years ago. And so we always tried to connect the dots between why those sisters founded those clinics initially that grew into big hospitals down the line. Why did they do that? And uh, connecting the dot and being able to tell the story of the sisters coming to America, not even knowing English, starting these clinics, fundraising with the help of some bishops, um, and then and then you know started to grow it into this impressive organization, is very inspirational, and it also uh, allows us, as I as I said earlier, to kind of take a step back, and and connect it to our why. So I believe being a mission centric organization is a differentiator. We're also a not-for-profit organization, which means that, of course, we need to make a buck so we can reinvest it in our people and technology and buildings. But our number one goal is to take care of the community. And that means if you don't have insurance, we're going to take care of you. Or that means you have Medicaid or you're underinsured. 
it doesn't matter. We will have the best doctors and the best nurses for you. So being mission centric, not for profit, taking care of the poor and the vulnerable really attracts a lot of people to our organization. And uh, it's certainly what brought me here and uh, what keeps me here. I'm curious, do you know what order those sisters belong to, those founding sisters? Well, Common Spirit um, is a, a conglomeration of many, many um, uh, different orders or communities. We have the Mercies, we have the Benedictines, uh, we have Franciscans. So they come from a variety of different uh, directions, which makes it such a, uh, a beautiful patchwork um, of hospitals, right? And that's why I also like to visit all my hospitals because um, I, I might go to Kearney that was founded by a different order than if I go to uh, Emmanuel, which was Lutheran, right? So um, I love those backgrounds, the variety, and the strength that we can pull from that legacy. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's very, very interesting. Um, and, I, and I just love the story. It's a great story, and it kind of just shows that how the how what you said, EJ, the caring for the poor and the vulnerable has always been a, a trait of the CHI Common Spirit Network. Um, so one one last question here. Answer this for me. EJ Kuiper is blank. Passionate about advancing healthcare in uh, Omaha and beyond. I love it. Well, I don't want to take you from any more of your important things here on this Friday, EJ. So if you would give everyone who's listening an idea of where they can learn more about you, where they can learn more about CHI, Common Spirit, and especially if you're looking for more talent in way of nurses and things. So give, give us all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would, I would uh, direct everybody to the CHI Health website or Instagram or Facebook accounts where we uh, post on a daily basis. Um, we are always looking for talent. It doesn't matter if you're clinical or not clinical. We'd love for you to uh, uh, join our team. Uh, on the CHI Health, uh, Health website, you can see my leadership team and a little bit of biography of my team members. Very, very talented group of people. But like I said, the most important people are the ones that right now, as we speak, are taking care of our patients. And that's um, leading them is uh, the honor of a lifetime. Awesome. Well, EJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I'll have to give a special thank you to our friend, Dr. Dan DeFries over there in Nebraska City, who got us to uh, finally get together here. But yeah, just thank you so much. It means a lot to me. My pleasure. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Whether you allowed us to keep you company on your ride home from the office, during your workout, or as you were getting ready for the day, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this conversation. Be sure to subscribe and follow CEO Sitdowns on whatever podcast platform you use, and I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review, as it often helps others find the podcast in the future. And if today's episode called to mind a friend or family member who you think would enjoy today's conversation, go ahead and share this episode with them. I would certainly appreciate it, and hopefully they will too. Thanks again for listening, and may you have a pleasant day wherever you may be.